Well, we're continuing our series, Growing Young. Uh, comes from a book called Growing Young and uh, by Kara Powell and a bunch of other uh, smart people from Fuller Theological Seminary. But we're doing this series because uh, it emphasizes churches that grow, churches that thrive, are churches that grow young. And the quick, simple way of thinking about growing young is uh, churches that connect with all generations, grow with all generations, churches that connect with the older and the younger. And that's the beauty of growing young. And what we saw here was a picture of that. We had all ages on the stage here, and we had um, Brooks, who I think is nine, is that right, nine, playing drums that second song. So if you saw like a, the paparazzi over there, it's because we were so proud that Brooks was on there rocking out. And, and then this, the, the drama team is of all ages, and that's what Growing Young is all about, is connecting with all ages. It doesn't matter if, how old you are, how young you are, the kingdom of God is for all people, and we're all part of the body of Christ, and that is so exciting that we get to enter into this great family. And that's what we are. We are family. And doesn't matter how old we are, we are family. Kind of want to sing a song like we are family, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm like running out. Um, when I turned 16, I got my driver's license. Now, I know some of you, you're like, listen, back in my day, it was 15. Now, I know. Back in my day, it was 16. And I got my first keys of my first car, 1984 Chevy Cavalier, primered gray box of a car. And my mom and my dad gave me the keys. And this is the key ring that I still have today. And from that first car, I still have the key ring, not the key because that car is long gone. Um, and I still have it because this is my first car. And I got it from my grandfather. And so it meant you know, something to me. And I drove that car everywhere. We went to the beach. We'd go skateboarding everywhere we possibly could. It was amazing. But, but I remember getting the keys. And when I got the keys, everything changed. Because no longer was I confined to the distance of how far I could go on my skateboard. No. Now I was confined at how much gas I could put in the gas tank. I had freedom to do all of that. And if you came in here, you got... A set of keys, this key is key to the church. Anytime you want to get in, just kidding, it's a, it's a blank key, it doesn't, doesn't work on anything. But this key here is a symbol of what we're talking about. We're talking about unlocking keychain leadership, and hopefully the meaning of this key will become clearer. And if after church you want to, like, tape it on your mirror that you see every day, if you want to I'll put it wherever you see it every day as a reminder that our goal is to unlock keychain leadership. And, um, and, and, and my hope also is that as we hold on to these keys, that, that we will be reminded that we want to empower this next generation. That we're not going to just hoard all the influence that we have. We're not going to just hoard all the skills, but we're going to give out. We're going to share. We're going to build up. We're going to train. And we're going to cast vision for this next generation. And we're going to be there with them every step of the way. That's what this idea of keychain leadership is all about. So, so let's get to right down to what exactly is keychain leadership. And here's what it is. By keys, by keys we mean the capabilities 
the power and the access of leaders that can be used to empower young people. Maybe you're good at the upfront type stuff in this type of setting, or maybe at work you're good at giving presentations. Maybe there's somebody in the wings there that you could kind of highlight and say, let's let this person shine. Maybe you're good at fixing things, and you're always able to fix things. Maybe you could bring someone alongside you and say, hey, let me train you, and let me teach you how to do this, and let them shine in fixing different things. So by keys, we mean capabilities, we mean the power, we mean the access of leaders that can be used to empower young people. And by keychain leaders, we mean pastoral or congregational leaders who are actually aware of the keys in their keychain and are intentional about entrusting and empowering young people with their set of keys. When we talk about keychain leaders, we're talking about the ability that you and I have to do something, to impact something, a skill that we have. And when we talk about keychain leaders, we're giving them access to whatever that knowledge is, to whatever that ability is, to whatever that capacity is. We're saying, here's the keys. I believe in you. Now go and do it. That's the idea of keychain leader. And every leader at one point had somebody in his or her life who believed in them. Every leader had somebody in their life who says, I believe in you. And what we want to do is continue that because that is the process of mentoring. That's the process of discipleship. That's the process of continuing the next generation. This is the way of discipleship. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to the young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's very interesting. He says, you have heard me teach these things. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, Paul says to Timothy, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's important that we see, you know, this idea of how important keychain leadership is. Because as we read through the Bible, there's so many different examples of people investing in one another. You look throughout the entire Old Testament, there's stories after stories of mentors impacting the next generation. And then that person impacting the following generation. The New Testament, there's stories. And I just want to highlight one of those stories. It's the story of Paul and Timothy. And as you read through the New Testament, we, we see three phases of their relationship. And it's kind of a unique, gradual um, relationship that goes from being a child-parent relationship to being a co-worker. Here's what I mean. Uh, the, the first phase in the relationship, and this comes from Rick Warren, is parenthood. The phase one is Parenthood. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he addresses him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, my true son in the faith. You see this parental type figure, my true son in the faith. This is, this is who I, I care for. I have this deep love for. He, he, he is like a son to me. And this is a great description because we're told that Timothy's father was a, a Greek, but we're not given any indication that his father was a believer in Jesus as their, as, as, as their Savior, as his Savior. 
And so it's interesting that the Apostle Paul comes alongside Timothy and really is a spiritual father to Timothy. And so he sees Timothy as a son, as a son in the faith. And so the first phase is we, you and I need a sense of parenting as we mentor because it's vital that we be grounded as these young and up-and-coming generation, as they, as they dream big dreams, they've got to be grounded. Phase two is pace setting. The second phase of, of, of ministry and of mentoring and of growing young is pace setting. That's, that's being the example of what mature ministry looks like. That's being the example of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. That's living out what we say we believe. We read this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. You know what I teach and how I live. Paul writes this to Timothy. You know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith. My patience, my love, and my endurance. What Paul is doing here is he's setting the pace with his life. And he challenges the young Timothy to learn by keeping up with him, by emulating his lifestyle. It's the idea of follow me as I follow Christ. You may have heard the saying that, that Christianity is one generation away from extinct, extinction. That might be an oversimplification of, of, of that saying, because that's a pretty bold statement. But the idea behind it is you and I all have a role and a responsibility to invest in people. You and I have a role and a responsibility to connect with all generations. Because this next generation that's coming up, they're watching us. And you want to know what this generation wants to see? They want to see Jesus lived out in us. Not in a fake, plastic sort of way. They want to see Jesus lived out in us in an authentic, real way. That when we're going through a struggle, we don't fake it and say, everything's okay, I'm going to pray it away. When we're going through a struggle, they see us wrestling with those tough issues. They see the faith that is alive within us, and they see how we're wrestling with these different issues that are going on. We have a role to play as we connect with this next generation. doesn't matter how old we are. doesn't matter how young we are. We all have a role in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter our past or how far we've turned away from the Lord. We could always come back, turn from our sins, come back to the Lord, and connect and continue to live and further the kingdom. Phase three is partnering. In the book of Romans, there's a somewhat obscure reference here to, from Paul to Timothy. And uh, the reference is this in, in, in Romans 16, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greeting. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings. Now, this is amazing. Here's what happens. Timothy has gone from being a son to a student and now being a colleague. Let me say it again. Timothy has gone from being a son to a student to now being a colleague, a co-laborer. When we spend plenty of time, you and I spend plenty of time desiring and praying for more workers or more laborers to come. You know, Lord, if we'd just be more workers to do this. <clears throat> but perhaps we don't spend enough time investing in those 
who have the potential to become partners in the mission. So we have parenthood, then we have, then, then, uh, then we have pace setting, then we have parenting. We have these different phases that are going on. Our movements, the restoration movement, is we have a couple of like things that we like. This is what we're all about. One is the priesthood of all believers. First Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The first part, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Peter's telling us that we are chosen, that we are priests. A priest is someone who goes to God on behalf of all the people. What he's saying is this, is that God has given all of this idea in the terms where we're, in one sense we're priests, in the sense that we could go and connect with God, in the sense that we all have a role to play in the kingdom and furthering the kingdom. And it's interesting, if you look at the people Jesus chose, the people that Jesus chose were not the people Every anybody else would have chosen. The people that Jesus chose were tax collectors, were, were quote-unquote sinners, were, were fishermen who weren't that respected in that culture. But Jesus saw something in them that nobody else did. And what did Jesus do? He poured into his life. He invested his life into them for three years. And the 12 disciples became a powerful force to further the kingdom. When Jesus died and then he ascended, then the Holy Spirit came down. These, these disciples were empowered to go and further the kingdom to all the ends of the earth. Everyone else counted these people out, but not Jesus. He saw something in them. He believed in them. Who is that person for you that you believe in? Maybe it's somebody that nobody else believes in. Who is that person that you could take a risk on and say, I believe in you? Who is that person that you're saying, I could take this person under my wing? We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now let's look at keychain leadership in action. Keychain leaders are real and they know what matters most. And, and keychain leaders, they take the, the long view because nothing, anything that happens like overnight generally is not sustainable. Growing young and, and connecting with people and mentoring and discipleship, that takes time. It takes years. Nothing's going to happen overnight that's going to be sustainable. So keychain leaders know that. And in your notes there, in your program, it says this. No matter your role, here is what we want you to know. And this is from the book Growing Young. If you are willing to entrust your keys to young people, they will trust you with their hearts, their energy, their creativity, and even their friends. Yes, it can sometimes seem like more work than it's worth, but if you give them your access, you have the opportunity to touch a whole generation. There's four types of keychain leaderships. One is the keyless leaders. Keyless leaders are usually inexperienced and they spend most of their time trying to get power, trying to get authority, trying to prove that they're like, have it all figured out. The second type of keychain leaders are key hoarding leaders. These are leaders who have skills, who have abilities, who have all these skills, but what 
instead of sharing their keys, what they do is they hoard it. And they're like, I'm not going to give it to anybody because I don't want to empower anybody. I want to keep it myself. The third type of keychain leader is the key loaning leader. The key loaning leader is this, saying, hey, okay, I see you have some skills here. Go ahead and do this once. Then they do it, and they bring it back, and they say, okay, thank you, and that's it. It's a one and done, and then that's it. Then what we want to get to is to be full-on keychain leaders. Keychain leaders are very aware of the keys they hold. Very aware of the keys they hold. They are constantly opening doors for some while training and entrusting others who are ready for their own set of keys. And so as we think about keychain leaders, think about the example of Jesus that he believed in people when no one else did. And these people changed the world. A ragtag group of people changed the world. Let's believe in people. Let's believe in this up-and-coming generation. And let's, if we're using phrases like, oh, well, they, they're just little kids, or they just complain, or they're just entitled, let's stop using that type of language. And let's start using language like, let me get to know you. Because that changes everything. This evening, we have a special guest with us. We have two special guests with us this morning. We have Scott and Gayla Congdon. They're from Amore Ministries. And it's, it's pretty amazing that I've known uh, them for, I, I think, seven, eight years now, something like that. Or, and, um, and Gayla and Scott are from Amore Ministries. And here's what's really uh, amazing. They're great examples of growing young. And they're great examples of what unlocking keychain leadership is all about. And in fact, you might remember that this past Christmas that we raised $12,000 to provide a salary for a national Mexican worker in Mexico. And you're going to get to hear about them for that. And here's another thing that's pretty amazing. They're baby boomers, and they have young people flocking to them. So don't ever tell me that you're too old to connect with this up-and-coming generation because these two are examples of that very much. So Gayla and I are going to have a little chat, have a little talk. Gayla, can you come on up here? Please welcome Gayla Congdon. Um, I'm going to get some chairs. <laughs> All right. So how you doing, Gayla? Thanks. All right, so this is Gayla, and uh, we get to have a little chat here, just you and I, and talk about this. Um, a couple questions for you. Oh, yeah, well, I need to get you a mic here. Here we go. We, are, we planned this ahead of time. We meant to do that. <laughs> we meant to not bring the <laughs> chairs up and the mic up. Little things you forget, you know? All right. We're good to go now, right? Yep. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Can we say a little something? Say a little something about the the offering that we we're able to receive, and then tell us a little bit about um, uh, Elias and, and Marisol. And then uh, once you say a little bit about them, then I think we have a little uh, clip that we'll show. Yeah, they are, the offering that you took at Christmas is a good example of how we're investing in young people. And I was sitting there. And I was thinking, when I was a little girl, I had the privilege of growing up in the church and became a Christian at eight years old. And at nine years old, I committed to be a missionary, and I kept my promise. 
I'm here before you today because I kept that promise. But um, my, one of my favorite passages was Matthew, and taken from Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. And I was sitting here as Brian was talking and thinking, oh my goodness, what is so important about us pouring our lives into this next generation is that they are probably the first generation who really has the technology and resources and potential to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Wow. And we better pour in them because if we fulfill the Great Commission, guess what happens? Jesus comes back and takes us to reign with him forever and ever and ever. And, you know, I was, I was thinking about how important it's become. We are privileged, Scott and I. The young people that are taking over our ministry, and when I say young, I mean late 30s and early 40s, all of them came on mission trips when they were high school students, came back as summer interns, came and worked on the field, and they are transitioning into taking over the ministry as we begin our transition out. This is our, we're going to be 40 years old next year, not, I wish I was 40 years old next year. <laughs> but we're going to, well, Moore's going to be 40 years old next year. And to be able to see that those we've poured our life into are raising up to take over this ministry and actually give it to Mexico. I, I, I was telling Dave this today when I met with him. We went away on sabbatical in 2015, and lo and behold, come back, and those young whippersnappers thought they were in charge, and they made a decision that we were going to turn everything over to our Mexican team. It only <laughs> took us 38 years to kind of figure out maybe how to do it, and they told us while we went on sabbatical. <laughs> but the, wrap that around your head for a second. The more we pour in to this next generation... Number one is Jesus said, you will do greater things than I've done because I'm going to unleash the Holy Spirit. They can do greater things than we have done because they have been born at a time where they have the resources to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Why would we not want that to happen? Yeah. I mean, that is powerful to be able to say that is part of our legacy is to know we have entrusted what we've done into such amazing hands. And it's a privilege to me. I, I have, there's a rumor going around the world with the people that work with us that I'm more of a millennial than I am a baby boomer. <laughs> and there's probably some truth to that. I raised a millennial. But um, I sit there and I watch and I think of friends who have shared with me. That hoarder one is really an interesting one to me because I've met people in the ministry, whether it's missions agencies like we work in or pastors in churches, and they hold on to it because they say, you know what, I had to work for this information. They're going to have to, too. And I said, no, you need to pour everything you have to make them the best that they can to take what they are getting in their time and their frame to be able to do what God's called us to do. I mean, it's, it's a privilege, and, and Brian reminded me of that tonight in the sermon, of how much greater it is. Um, we, we, my son is living in, in the jungle in the Yucatan. He played football at the University of Southern California. Then he decided to go to seminary. We were kind of hoping he'd try to play in the NFL a couple of years and get some money back that we put into <laughs> all his lessons. But, oh, no, no, he had greater a decision to make of, I'm going to go in the ministry. And, you know, a friend of mine from England that Brian knows, John Fudge, said to me, he came, he came out and said, you know what, I heard Jordan speak tonight. He's, he's, he's going to be a better speaker than you are. He's better than you are. <laughs> so I said, you know, I wrote Jordan a little note and said, John Fudge said you're better than me. Well, then John Fudge decided to tell me again. He said, Jordan, Jordan's a better speaker than you are. I said, I think I heard you the first time. <laughs> and then he told, decided to tell me three times. I said, okay, buddy, 
let's just cut it off right now. But there is nothing greater than to see those you've poured your life in to do greater things than you have done because wow. you have given who you are. And we get the privilege of seeing they were 16 years old. If you would have told me 10, 15 years ago that the people who are going to run a moor after we transition out would be running it, I would have laughed in your face. Mm. And I would like to believe that some of the reason they're able to do that is because we poured our life into them. We wow. grew them young. Wow. And how many countries is more in? Oh, wow. Um, somebody asked me how many staff we have today, and I don't know the, I don't know the big answers. A lot. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're trying to create a way that we can be all over the world doing what we do. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, we want to show a clip. I think the clip's ready. Um, this is um, a gift from uh, the, the missionaries, uh, the local Mexican nationals, uh, talking about giving it back to Mexico, saying thank you for the gift of $12,000 for a year's salary, and then Gala can talk about it. By the way, Gala, did you know, like our, part of our restoration movement, Gala was ordained in 1978. Mm -hmm. 1978, and we believe she's one of the first females to be ordained within the restoration uh, movement. So that is amazing. So, Reverend, Your Holiness. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you can call me now, Scott. Yes, yeah, Scott. Don't forget that. Did we got that clip? Let's go ahead and play play that clip. If we have it. Hola to Brian and our friends at Kemuki Christian Church. I'm Elias Ponce from Amor Ministries, and this is my wife, Maricela. We serve the people of northern Mexico, bringing Jesus to them. We thank you for your generous gift that allows us to serve with Amor. May God bless your church this Easter. Dios le bendiga. Aloha. <laughs> So it was a video, but uh, the video came in like low quality and all that. So we just did the, the picture there. But can you explain that picture? Because I think that picture there is exactly what Growing Young is all about. Well, one of the things that we do is we don't go into a location where we don't establish a ministry planning board. This year, we're going to have built 20,000 homes. And about 350,000 people have come on trips with us through the years. 350,000. 350,000 people have been on trips. That's a lot. Okay. And um, that man, the older gentleman that was in the picture, I wanted you to see, this is Elias on the end in Maricela, but that is his father, Armando Ponce, and his wife, Adriana. And they have been on our ministry planning board 35 years. He has planted 10 churches. And this is his son. And one of the things you should know is that at one time, when I was going to college, 25% of young people followed their parents back to the mission field. It's down to 3%. 3%. And two people who break those statistics are our son, Jordan, and their son, Elias, who was never going to be a pastor. But now he heads up all of Mexico, and you made that possible with your Christmas offering of giving back to Mexico to where we have turned everything over. And we have a company in Mexico, and they run the company, and they work with all the groups. And we don't hire an American any longer unless an American can only fulfill that role. So we have a team of about 20 that includes people who work with groups. Then we have guards that stay at our camps to make sure everybody's safe and have the water that they need. But this young couple is part of this growing young and this next generation. I remember when Elias was a little tiny boy 
and he would run around camp and everything, and he, he was raised up by his parents to be the kind of man that is leading our Give It to Mexico. And I can't thank you on behalf of Omar Ministries, your generosity this last Christmas to help us. And one of the things we're able to do with the Give It to Mexico Fund is for the first time ever in the history of Amor, we, we have just hired our first female Mexican field specialist. You yes. can clap to that. Yes. I'd like to... <laughs> Lois. Her name is Lois. But it? it's, it's seeing Armando Ponce. And I, I'm going to tell you a little quick story. I hope this is okay about him. Scott and I have known him for a long time. And we have been to his church many times. And we thought that the house that he lived in was his home. And as he is getting closer to retirement age, we have found out that that wasn't his home. And that he was not going to have a place to live. And he had never told us that he needed a house. And so someone on our ministry planning board came and said, can we build a house for Armando Ponce? And so he moved into his first home that he owns this last year because of his humility and his desire to see the people in his community helped. And he has been um, a leader and a mentor to Scott and I of faithfulness and humility of being able to do so little um, with so little so much. And uh, just... And an, an incredible, incredible person. Wow. One last question. Um, as I look at, as I have interacted with you and Scott for seven years, eight years now, um, been on different mission trips and spent lots of time together. By the way, Scott and Gail are influential in Kaz and I's decision to come to Hawaii to make this big decision. So they mean a, they mean a lot to me. But why do young people like the two of you? I don't know. You know, I people start following me on Twitter, and I go, you do know I'm 65. <laughs> and they go, yes. And I think, I go back to what Brian said in his sermon tonight. All the studies have shown that churches look and think, how do we reach young people? 60 to 70% of millennials that have grown up in the church have left the church. So how do you reach them? And we always go to programming. We're going to make things bigger and better and fancier. And, um, and your worship is beyond belief tonight. It was just so incredible. Yeah. But um, I think it's just sitting down and just saying, sometimes ministry's hard. Sometimes I have doubts. This is how I work through it. Sometimes um, marriage is challenging in the ministry. Talk about raising a child, and I think they just want somebody to, they want the same thing that baby boomers want that everybody wants. They want authenticity. When I went to Bible college, we were told, no, don't tell anybody anything. That doesn't work anymore. And I don't know why we ever thought it did, because Jesus was so authentic. Wow. He defined authenticity. You know, let this cup pass from me. Pretty powerful stuff. But I, what I want you to know, because one of the things that I love doing and the reason we come to churches is I love to look people in the eyes, some who will never come on a trip with us, but who help make trips happen, make offerings happen. And thank you, because we can stand before you today, and I think this is important for you to know. We're just as passionate today as we were 40 years ago. And we were told we were too young, we didn't know what we were doing, and people were exactly right. We were too young, and we did not know what we were doing. But we felt God's call on our heart to do it. And um, we pinch ourselves that we get up every day and get to do something that we love. And I tell my staff, don't take it for granted. 
because we are receiving donations from people who get up every day and go to jobs they don't like so that we can do what we feel God's called us to do and what we love. So don't ever take that for granted and live the best. And the best is pouring your life into others and not hoarding it. I love the way you, you talked about that, Brian. And we can see that. I'm going to close with, a, I want to tell you just a little story that's my favorite story, and I told the, the staff comes. today. Yeah. But um, we, we, we work in communities where we go to every community and ask the local government if they can help us with whether it's um, cement. And we ask one of the city councilmen in Tecate, Mexico, can you give us the cement for 60 slabs that we were going to pour so groups could come and build on them. And the lady who we had to deal with, she said, you know what, I don't really have the resources to be able to help you. But she said, I've grown up in this community, and I want you to know I've seen you come here. She's in her 40s, and she said, I've seen you come. The most important thing is I've seen you make promises, and you've kept them. And so our staff went back two weeks later because she said she'd have a decision in two weeks. And they came back, and they said, we got the cement. I said, how did you make that happen? Because she said she didn't have the resources. They said, well, she took out a picture of a 10-year-old little girl, and she showed it to us, and they said, who is that? And she said, that's me. I grew up in one of your houses. That's what happens when you pour your life into others. And that's our hope for this entire series. Let's continue to pour lives into people, continue to love people, continue to be there for people, because Jesus has not given up on us and he has not given up on this up-and-coming generation. And no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are, you have a role to play. Amen? Let's stand and let's sing.